The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Wednesday, May 25th, 2016 edition. I broadcast weekdays, that's Monday to Friday, at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on WINB. And a shout out to all those listening at WINB. And of course, in high definition, CD quality stereo sound at WeekendVigilante.com. Thank you so much for tuning in from across the globe today. To find out more ways to listen, including the podcast and the customized app, do go to the Listen tab up on the menu at WeekendVigilante.com. And if you have not already done so, please go to my social media, that's Twitter, Facebook, and especially YouTube, as some of the YouTube videos hit the YouTube feed before the podcast do. Again, that's top right. And I just want to remind people that if you have downloaded the Weekend Vigilante app, please do make sure you have updated it to the latest version because we've heard from you and we've made some fantastic changes. So again, make sure you're using the updated version. And a reminder for the new listeners, if you have not picked up a copy of my book, Green Gospel, do so by going to greengospel.ca. There is barely a day that goes by we are not hearing about this green theology of environmentalism and climate change being woven into everything. You can simply go to greengospel.ca, order yourself a copy, and get a copy for friends and family, especially your pastor. That's greengospel.ca. Well, I'm very excited to bring everyone my guest today. He is a highly acclaimed, award-winning documentary filmmaker and founder of Adullam Films, a Christian film ministry dedicated to defending the gospel of Jesus Christ through film and video production. He is also the host of the Noise of Thunder radio program. Now, his documentary series on the working of secret societies in America is actually one top awards at film festivals. He's been honored with several telly awards. He's had many incredible productions. Part one, The New Atlantis. Part two, Riddles and Stone, The Secret Architecture of Washington, D.C. Part three, The Eye of the Phoenix. Of course, The Secrets of the Dollar Bill. Now he's got another series on the history of the Bible, Terrors Among the Wheat. He just directed Clouds Over Elberton, all about the Georgia Guidestones. And Part three in the history of the Bible, soon to be released, Bridge to Babylon, subtitled Rome, Ecumenism and the Bible, what a highly anticipated part three in that Untold History of the Bible documentary series. Amazing work. It is my pleasure to welcome for the first time to the program and hopefully one of many more to come, Chris Pinto. Welcome to the program. It is a pleasure to have you on, sir. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So, Chris, I mean, amazing films that you've done. I mean, nobody would touch these kind of topics with a 10-foot pole, but they're so relevant to what we are seeing really play out in the news headlines. In a recent interview, I was very stunned to hear Newt Gingrich 
course, I'm not a fan of him, but I was really stunned to hear him say that Donald Trump is being rejected by the establishment because he wasn't quote unquote initiated into a secret society. I mean, do you think Gindrich meant that literally? Or what was the the underpinning of that conversation? Because I think the history of secret groups in this country and abroad really tie into the sort of communist agenda that is unfolding around us. Would you agree with that? Oh, I would totally agree with that. I I usually point people, whenever that comes up, I'll point them to uh, the speech by John F. Kennedy before he was assassinated, where he talks about secret societies, and he relates it directly to communism. Uh, And you can find that speech online. But where Newt Gingrich is concerned, uh, I have to I have to admit when I heard that I was really stunned by it because it seemed to be a slip of the tongue from him, yeah. and it seemed to fit in because I think a lot of us have been trying to figure out is Trump the real deal? Is he sincere in what he's doing, or is this somehow or other you know some covert operation that we don't know about? But uh, but I've. I think a lot of people think Trump is sincere, and one of the reasons why is that quote from Newt Gingrich, because it seems to make sense. Trump does not appear to be a part of any of these secret groups, and uh, Newt Gingrich knows that for a person to ascend in American politics, typically they've got some association with either the Skull and Bones or what's going on in Northern California with the Bohemian Grove and this kind of thing. Uh, they've got some association there, or they're involved in Freemasonry, some kind of uh, covert group. Uh, maybe the Rosicrucians, although they're much more remote. Uh, but nevertheless, it uh, it was a very interesting comment, and a lot of fellow researchers that I know were taken aback by it. And it, it, it's, it just seemed to be a blatant admission of what so many of us who have researched this for many years uh, have come to believe, that that our government and the, the, what they're calling the establishment in the United States is really being controlled by these secret groups that are all working in concert together to take our government and our country ultimately away from its Judeo-Christian foundation and into this communist conclusion. Communist conclusion, that is the perfect segue. Now, interestingly, Chris, on my website, weekendvigilante.com, up in End Time News, interesting story I posted last week, late in the week. It's entitled, actually, Secret Societies to Become a Whole Lot Less Secret. And really, the article kind of elaborates on the shadowy groups of the who's who of the elite, the Trilateral Commission, the CFR, the Bilderberg Group, and of course, others, but really about America's most prestigious secret societies. You've got Yale University, you just mentioned Skull and Bones, a whole secret society I said is becoming a little less secret if these archivists at George W. Bush's presidential library in Dallas get their own way because apparently the Skull and Bones files are due out. So I don't know if you saw that, but just very interesting that these archivists really want to go and expose the who's who of the elite. So that could be a very interesting find, couldn't it? Well, I tell you, I I interviewed a guy years ago, uh, interviewed a number of people years ago who were talking about these secret groups. And he appears in our films. His name is Buff Perry. And I remember through conversations with him and others that the impression, at least the impression that I was given, and these are guys who, who they're not a part of 
these secret groups. Uh, but when I was working on the Secret Mystery series, I was able to go and interview people who are with things like the Philosophical Research Society in Los Angeles by Manley P. Hall and so on, and got to go to the Masonic Temple there the, uh, in, in Washington, D.C., and interview Dr. Brett Morris, wow. who is like one of the leading Masonic apologists in this country and really anywhere in the world, and others who are directly involved in Masonry and uh, these arcane groups and really the whole ancient mystery philosophy. And what I learned is some of these guys are a part of, you know, they're official members in Freemasonry or Skull and Bones, but others aren't necessarily. They're, they're not officially joined to these groups, but they share the same philosophy. Okay, they share the same worldview. When I talk to all of these people, I talk to all of these guys, the, the sense that I got is that these secret groups were planning in the years ahead. Now, I'm interviewing them back in 2004, 5, 6, 7, right around there. And the sense that I got from them is that what they want to do is they want to reveal themselves to the rest of the world. They want to tell everybody, yes, we have been working behind the scenes. We have been a part of this conspiracy because we are leading the world, or so they think, into a greater level of enlightenment. You see, the inner core of what a lot of these guys believe they're doing, they believe that they're building paradise on earth. I interviewed one of these guys, a guy named Peter Dawkins over in England, and he's one of the leading experts, well, he's the leading expert on Sir Francis Bacon. Bacon is, he's, he's really an important figure from Elizabethan England, He's considered the first Grand Master of Modern Masonry. He became the Chief of the Rosicrucians in England, and it was through Bacon that the colonization scheme, much of it, to come to America was set forth. And Bacon believed, of course, that America was the site of ancient Atlantis. And that's what the whole idea of the new Atlantis, America is the new Atlantis in their worldview. Now, of course, there were Christians who came over here through the Puritans and the Pilgrims, and they were coming here for the cause of the gospel. But with them were people who were part of these covert groups, and they had a very different philosophy about America. They believed that they were discovering uh, the lost island of ancient Atlantis, and that this would be the site where they would build the new Atlantis. And if you read Bacon's book on the new Atlantis, his description of the land, the mysterious land that they stumble across. He openly says that America is Atlantis of old. Okay? And he talks about this society, this futurist society, where they have weapons of mass destruction. They have cannons that are far more powerful than anything you can imagine. They have recording devices where they can speak and uh, uh, cause your voice to be heard a great distance away, and so on. He's talking about experiments on animals where you conduct experiments and you develop medications and cures for diseases for human beings, uh, etc. He's describing a lot of elements that would come to pass in the 19th and 20th century in, the, in, in America and, of course, in parts of England as well. Bacon is considered the father of the modern scientific method. So there is... There's this element in these secret groups where they believe they are building some grand utopia, that all this stuff that they're doing with ecumenism, blending all the world religions one into another, developing all of this toleration through, the, through bizarre 
sexualities, transgenderism, and all this other kind of stuff, which are really practices from the ancient pagan world. And the way that they're building paradise, of course, is they have to overthrow Christianity. That's the key. When you study them, you realize it takes a while, but you realize that Christianity and the Bible are the chief enemy. Uh, in fact, one of the symbols in Freemasonry, you'll often see, like in a Masonic lodge, they'll have a Bible, and there'll be an open Bible, and on top of the Bible is a square and a compass. And now Freemasons will often defend the Bible, and of course they'll say, you know, they believe the Bible and this kind of thing, but that symbol with the square and compass on top of the Bible signifies that the Bible is acceptable provided it submits to the authority of Freemasonry. You see what I'm saying? Wow. That's what, that's, so they accept Christianity if it will submit to the Masonic philosophy, which is really the philosophy of this whole New Age pagan occult uh, worldview, which says, okay, we'll take Christianity, but Christianity's got to be blended in with Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and atheism and all of these other things. They all have to come together as one. So that's what we're seeing with the Pope right now. In fact, I just watched a video earlier today uh, where the Pope is sitting there reading from some piece of paper, and then they've got a Jewish man, they've got a woman who worships Buddha, and then they've got a Muslim, uh, and then a Catholic priest who's saying he worships Jesus Christ, etc. And the Pope is openly proclaiming that all of these are just people who are all seeking God each in their own way, and they all need to be basically blended together. Well, this Jesuit Pope Francis, he is absolutely a devil. I cover George Bergoglio in my book, and I link that into his very Marxist mayhem here. But were you surprised, Chris, that he said in an interview recently that Jesus' call to spread the gospel was no different than the jihad being waged by radical Islamists? I mean, the guy has said things that are just so hard to wrap a person's head around just straight out of the bells of hell. You know, when he was talking, he said, you know, the initial problems are the wars in the Middle East and in Africa. You know, of course, he's talking about the hugely underdeveloped African continent, which, you know, causes hunger there that gets into his socialist Marxist ideologies. But he said, you know, if, if there is so much unemployment, anti-capitalism, talking about the free market, it doesn't work. And then he springboards into jihadist murdering bunch of heathens. And he ties it in with, you know, they really do need to populate with Europe. I mean, we're talking about just mindless statements. Were you surprised yeah. at that? Well, I, I really was not surprised because a lot of this, a lot of this is, is the socialism and the communism and the fact that the Pope is a Jesuit. He's a Jesuit priest. The, the term social justice was first coined by a Jesuit priest named Luigi Taparelli in 1843. Social justice is a Jesuit doctrine. Um, so are socialism and communism. The Jesuits are the ones who educated Karl Marx. Uh, they're the ones who taught him. If you get the book, there's a book by J.A. Wiley on the Jesuits, their morals, maxims, and plots, etc. that was published in 1881. 1881. Wiley says in that book that the Jesuits basically control communism, that they're the ones who manipulate communism. And they developed it over a period of about 150 years in what were called the Jesuit reductions of Paraguay. 
And so they developed the whole philosophies of communism over a long period of time and then taught them to Karl Marx and so on. And apparently, according to Wiley now, according to his book, they use this as a weapon against countries that they're trying to control. So hearing these comments from the Pope, um, you know, there's, there's a picture that I point to, what, the, what apparently the, the Vatican and the Jesuits tried to do during World War II was to reclaim the Holy Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire that stood from the 8th century was Charlemagne, uh, and that was the First Reich. Then you get to the Second Reich, which was Kaiser Wilhelm, and then Hitler was bringing in the Third Reich. Well, what broke up the Holy Roman Empire was the Great Reformation, the recovery of the Bible-based Christianity being restored, and that effectively dismantled the Holy Roman Empire and, and overthrew it. Well, then the Jesuits, they launched the Counter-Reformation to try and overturn the Protestant Reformation. And what many Americans don't realize, many Christians don't realize, is that the Great Reformation and the widespread publication of the Bible, this is what led to the birth of the free world. The free world exists today because of Bible-based Christianity. And they've been working for hundreds of years to try and overthrow this and destroy it. And they've developed all of these weapons and methods and uh, techniques and so on uh, to try and overturn Bible-based Christianity, which they've always been the enemies of. So one of their instruments or, that they developed through the 19th century was social justice, socialism, and communism. To me, it's incredible to go read Wiley's book, and he's warning about this in the 19th century, and then to see what would happen in the 20th century with uh, the Soviet Union and communist China and North Korea, etc., just the explosion of communism across the world, and then, of course, infiltrating uh, our country here in the United States, although it's moved at a much slower rate. We've had one warning about this after another, and I usually point to the, uh, the Reese Committee in the 1950s that was headed by Congressman B. Carroll Reese, where the Reese Committee uncovered a plan in this country uh, led by these tax-exempt foundations, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Guggenheim, and the Carnegie Endowment. And they put forth a plan back in the 1920s to take control of our education system. And by rewriting our history books and teaching a false version of history, but doing it slowly, they knew they couldn't do it all at once, so they were going to do it one step at a time by revising the history books one step at a time and slowly taking our country away from our Judeo-Christian understanding toward this communist conclusion. And this was uncovered now by the United States Congress. They're documenting this in the 1950s. People can go online. They can uh, listen to the testimony of Norman Dodd, D-O-D-D, uh, Norman Dodd was the director of research for the Reese Committee, and he talks about this whole thing and what they uncovered. Uh, there's also the book, Foundations, Their Power and Influence, by Renee Wormser. Wormser was the lawyer for the Reese Committee, and he wrote about this. This is the reason why today, Sheila, people are watching Bernie Sanders go out there and he's promoting socialism, yeah. and you've got all these young people chasing after him saying, yes, yeah, socialism, we need socialism. And now they're just very open about it. They're openly admitting, yes, we want socialism. The reason is because they have been systematically brainwashing the kids in the schools 
Uh, I mean, I'm not sure when you graduated high school. When I graduated high school, it was not this bad, not at all. We we were still warned about socialism. Um, I have a family member, though, who's about my age, and her son came home. He recently graduated high school. He came home one day and said to his mother, well, Mom, you know, I think socialism would be good for our country. And his mother turned and looked at him and was just perplexed. And she said, well, son, do you realize that Adolf Hitler was a socialist? And, of course, he he has no idea about any of this. I mean, they are brainwashing our kids in the schools. They're brainwashing them. They, They don't realize that Nazism was national socialism. They have no idea. You're right. They have no idea. And, you know, hence the word there, National Socialist Party, a.k.a. Nazi Party, in almost every respect, it was a very anti-intellectual and a-theoretical movement with that vision of complete annihilation of all enemies of the Aryan Volk. That was kind of the one big major goal of the Nazi policy. And of course, tying this into the other major goal was to reclaim the Roman Empire. Now, of course, as a filmmaker, Chris, you interview some of the heads of these secret societies and members of these very high-level esoteric groups. Obviously, the sort of underpinning of this whole movement is really to really make war against God Almighty, really. I mean, all these pagan images, whether you go back to Ezekiel or Daniel, God makes it clear throughout the scripture about pagan worship. That's why these Bohemian Grovers, the big Moloch statue and all their little rituals out there, we're really seeing it. It's just ubiquitous. And that really kind of goes back to this Gnostic tree of knowledge, the whole evil God that, of course, Manly P. Hall, Helena Blavatsky, all these hucksters like Alice Bailey, the 24 volumes that they called, it always goes back to, well, you know, the devil, he's a good guy, Lucifer, the angel of light, light and wisdom, and that mean God, that oppressive God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? (laughs) Well, you know what it is, Sheila, you know what it is? It's Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8. If you go to Ezekiel 8, that's when God takes Ezekiel, and he takes him to the temple, and he has him dig down, and there's a hidden door and the wall of the temple, and then he goes through the door, and there inside the temple in Jerusalem, God shows Ezekiel that you've got all the ancient men, the elders of Israel, and they're worshiping all of the pagan gods of the ancient world. And then he shows him the women who are out and they're weeping for Tammuz, the Babylonian sun god, and so on. And uh, this is, you know, and you read Ezekiel chapter 22. This was one of the founding scriptures for our little ministry where God says, uh, Her priests have violated my laws and have profaned my holy things. Uh, They put no difference between the holy and the profane, uh, between the holy things of God and those things that are profane, that are corrupt, that are idolatrous, and so on. And uh, they teach that there really is no difference between the holy and the profane. And that's really what this whole ecumenical movement is all about. It's about it's really what communism is all about. Uh, uh, it is one of the tenets of communism is the abolishment of private property ownership. But the philosophy, if you think about it, the, the concept of being holy 
The word holy means separate, separation. Christianity is supposed to be a holy belief system, separate from all these pagan gods and goddesses and everything. This is why God wanted his people to be holy. Be you holy even as I am holy. Uh, but the communist movement, the socialist movement, is an unholy movement. It's about trying to destroy the boundaries that God has set for mankind, both spiritually and morally. And we see it happening throughout the world in a variety of ways. This whole no borders movement, saying we're not going to have any borders. Uh, we're just going to let people come flooding into whatever country they want to go into. It's the abolishment of anything that you would call holy or separate. Uh, and of course, without holiness, well, the New Testament says without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And what happens is it, it corrupts everything in society. Every area of life is corrupted. We're seeing right now. Now women can't even use the restroom now. In a, they can't even be separate as women because now they've got to have men coming into the girls' bathroom if those men claim that they're orienting as women that day. Uh, it's, it's reached a level of absurdity that I, you know, we've never before seen in this country. And uh, I guess we can only hope and pray that God will give us the strength and the ability to turn this thing around somehow. But uh, it, it seems to be getting worse every day. You just said, you know, that word there, I mean, it's becoming to the point of absurdity. I said the other day, it's circus ridiculous meets Caligula level craziness, because we would never <laughs> believe and Tom Horn actually said this on a recent show. And I thought this was so interesting, Chris, he said, if my grandfather ever walked in a church today, he would be casting out devils, <laughs> and he would run out screaming. And I thought, it's I, just... It's I can't <laughs> believe you says, I'm still trying to recover from Caligula level craziness. That was a great <laughs> phrase because I thought I was thinking earlier this morning, Sheila, that Barack Obama is going to go down in history as the American Caligula. His presidency has become so completely absurd and ridiculous. Uh, but that's what I was thinking. I was saying this is this is Caligula level insanity. That's a perfect phrase to describe what's going on. Well, and that's exactly where we're at. Again, you mentioned Bernie Sanders socialism, you know, we're just gonna, you know, as Margaret Thatcher said, you know, it's great till the other people's money runs out, right? Mm -hmm. But this is the thing what young children don't understand is this is a part of history. And the whole underpinning of this, again, as you touched on is man playing God, it's the old world pagan ascending into heaven and dwelling amongst the gods theory, isn't it? It's the piece of transhumanism, Ray Kurzweil and all his transhumanists. They really want to, well, I guess it goes back to the garden. You will become as gods. Yeah, as uh, well, one of the things that I've, I've found interesting in my research, the, the book Frankenstein, which kind of really touches on what you're talking about. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which was written as an allegory of the French Revolution. The French right. revolutionaries were following pretty much the same philosophies that would become socialism and communism, etc. Uh, in fact, Adolf Hitler at one point said that his Nazi movement was the exact counterpart of the French Revolution. And Mary Shelley, because what they did with the French Revolution is they utterly wanted to abolish the concept of God entirely and get rid of God, and they exalted human reason. They dressed up a prostitute, 
put her on a, a pillar, a platform rather, and carried her throughout the streets, and she was the goddess reason, symbolizing human reason now will sit in the place of God. And uh, so Shelley writes this book, Frankenstein, where Dr. Frankenstein, his creature that he makes, that becomes a monster, basically, is it's the symbol of Frankenstein now playing God, and he's going to come up with his creature, but the creature that he comes up with uh, is a monster that comes back to destroy his household, and that was the whole symbolism of the story of Frankenstein. Of course, they don't teach that to our kids in school. If they did, then they would have all the warning that they needed about socialism, that socialism is like a, a, a wild beast. Once you unleash it in your society, it will destroy everything. It is a train-wrecking philosophy. It hasn't worked anywhere. I mean, and you talk to these young people, I've seen interviews on the news where reporters are asking Bernie Sanders followers, they're saying, where in the world has socialism actually worked? And none of them have an answer because it, it doesn't work. It's something that is, uh, uh, that is going to fail sooner or later. Like you said, quoting Margaret Thatcher, the problem with so socialism is sooner or later you run out of other people's money. And that's yeah. what happens yeah. because it does not encourage productivity. It doesn't encourage people to work hard. The biblical teaching that if any man will not work, neither should he eat. That if you're not willing to work, stop eating. That was the Christian work ethic that the, the pilgrims set forth at Plymouth and uh, specifically opposed the idea of entitlement and this kind of thing. Now our young people are being taught entitlement, that somebody owes them something just because they are, just because they exist. Therefore, somebody else has to provide for them. And it's a completely different. It's a, it's a completely opposing worldview and philosophy. That's not just the enemy of capitalism. It's, it's the enemy of private property. It's the enemy of, of everything that I think has allowed America to become the greatest and most powerful country in the world. And that is keeping the commandments of God. But this is socialism is the exact opposite of that. It, it shuns everything that God would command you to do in that regard it's very Luciferian, right? very Luciferian. Um, you've read the book, you probably read the book Marx and Satan by Pastor Richard Wormbrand. Yeah, I have. You know, he, he documents in that book that the, really the, the beginnings of communism with Marx and, and the communist revolutionaries in the 19th century, that they were all glorifying Satan and Lucifer in their writings in one way or another. Uh, and I remember when I first heard about Saul Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, where he dedicates part of the book to Lucifer, right. the, the, first, the first radical. Um, that's really the symbol for what communism and socialism is. It is, it is a, a complete antichrist system aimed at destroying faith in God and all of the principles and the commands that God has given that allows man to prosper and to have good success upon the earth. So, you know, not surprising, Hillary Clinton, big fan of Saul Alinsky. But what's really frightening to me is the sort of ubiquitous shoulder shrugging, Chris, of what is happening with both the Catholic Church and ISIS. You know, of all your knowledge that you have, what do you see sort of this final end game playing out in terms of how does the Roman Empire fit into this whole Islamic playbook here? 
Well, what I see, I, there's a picture you can find online of Adolf Hitler sitting with a Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. Right. And that, I believe, is a picture of what's happening. Socialism and Islamic Sharia have a lot in common, if you study them. They both are totalitarian systems of government. Uh, during the Middle Ages, the Ottoman Empire was governed by Islam. That was the Eastern Roman Empire. Uh, after the fall of Constantinople in 1453, and then Rome, under the Holy Roman Empire, governed the Western Roman Empire. And as a result of Protestant Christianity, Bible-based Christianity, which led to the founding of, well, the development of Great Britain, and then the founding of the United States, the Holy Roman Empire was basically dismantled. And then, because of Great Britain and the U.S., the Ottoman Empire was dismantled through the 19th century on into World War I. And that's the reason why the Ottomans, you know, basically today they're riding around in Toyota trucks with AK-47s. That's, that's what, be, and dreaming about bringing back the caliphate. Right. But they're still angry at these historically Christian countries that broke down the Ottoman Empire. Um, I think they are at this point, after World War II, socialism didn't work out. The socialists in Rome are getting together with the Muslims, and they've conjured up this plan to flood Western Europe, and then eventually America, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, etc., with all of these Islamic immigrants, knowing that they're not going to assimilate. You know, they're not going to, you know, they're they're not going to give up Islamic culture and become American, become. Englishmen, and etc. They're not going to do that. And they're going to systematically enable them. The so because this, the way that it works, the socialists in these countries help the Muslims come in. They, they bring them in by the hundreds of thousands and the millions, and then they empower them through financial aid and all these other things. They've developed laws in Western Europe to where you cannot speak against a Muslim, for example, in England. There was a pastor who was brought up on charges. He gave a sermon. I listened to the sermon. He was arrested, and he didn't say really anything that was... I mean, yes, he was suspicious of them, with good reason, but he didn't say anything that was really offensive. There was a, another man who was arrested on the streets of England because he quoted Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill who said that Islam and a man is like rabies and a dog, although he used the word hydrophobia, uh, arrested for quoting Winston Churchill. So they passed these laws to protect Islam, uh, and they're trying to do the same thing here in the United States. So I think what the socialists are doing is they're trying to protect the Muslims, flood the Western world with all of these Muslim immigrants, and then use them as the foot soldiers, the stormtroopers, to continually push against the established governments and really Christian society. Uh, they're using homosexuality and they're using Islam as weapons against Christianity. That's what I see happening. So as they, as they try to advance these really anti-Christian ideologies, because homosexuality and transgenderism, they know that these things are offensive. And so what do we find? We find the gays will go into a Christian bakery and try to force the Christians to make the gay wedding cake. They don't go to the Muslim bakery. They don't go to a Jewish bakery or an atheist bakery. They go to the Christian bakery. And that's how it seems to happen. Uh, there are Christians over in the UK. We're not as far down the road as they are in England and France and Sweden, these other countries. 
but we can see the direction that the the leftist liberals want to take our society and i believe they want to use these opposing ideologies as weapons to systematically break down christianity in the west and replace it with this totalitarian socialist sharia empire that they have envisioned yeah very good well and you're planning on making a documentary and you're going to tie in some of your thoughts on the Antichrist. There's so many different views. What is your take on the Antichrist? I have come to adopt what's called the historicist view. I used to believe more in a futurist view that the Antichrist is getting ready to emerge any day and this kind of thing. And I no longer believe that. I believe, I tend to fall in the camp of those who believe Antichrist has already been revealed through the papacy. I, I think the papacy, not necessarily one pope, but what the reformers believed, going back to John Wycliffe, right. the old Waldenses, Luther, Calvin, yep. the Puritans, the pilgrims, they all believed that when Jesus says in Matthew, many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. They believed that the many were the popes, were the line of papal kings who come and they say, quote, I am Christ, the many say I, uh, meaning that they stand in the place of Christ, as the vicars of Christ. Right. Okay? And while I didn't necessarily have that understanding at first, as I've studied prophecy and and the history of prophecy, I believe the Pope is that man of sin. Um, So I see it as the papacy. So when I'm watching all this stuff with the Pope, and look what he's doing, he's betraying Christendom. He's betraying the Western world. He's telling them, yes, the Muslims need to come in and breed with the Europeans, knowing that they're there to take over. They're they're out shouting in the streets saying, we're going to take over. Sharia will rule the world. We're taking over your countries. I mean, they're just openly doing it. And the Pope is encouraging all this craziness. That's where I'm at, Miss Sheila, because I know there are these different views out there and, and so on. And, and what I want to be able to do is I want to be able to make a film where I document systematically one step at a time why I've come to this conclusion, because there's some really powerful arguments out there. Yes. What, the way this happened to me, I was working on A Lamp in the Dark. And it, when you watch A Lamp in the Dark, it talks about the history of the Bible the Reformation, the Counter-Reformation, etc. But I had a little section in there where I was talking about the Reformers and their view of the Pope, because what made the Reformation happen was two things. One, the gospel of grace, we're saved by God's grace through faith, and the just shall live by faith. And then two, the belief that the Pope, or the papacy, was the very Antichrist foretold in Scripture, that the Pope was that man of sin. And I thought, well, let me just get a couple of quotes really quick just to communicate this, because I knew that that's what they believed, but I still kind of held, I, was, I held to some other views at that time. So I decided to go get a couple of quotes, and I started doing research, and I found books. I found hundreds and hundreds of pages, so many detailed arguments that they made. And I came to realize, I was like, oh my word, this was not just some doctrine. I mean, this was a major, this was a major doctrine of the Reformation. This yeah. is what they believe. This wasn't just some Johnny-come-lately conspiracy <laughs> theory. No. 
this wasn't like, oh, well, we think it's the Pope. You know, you know what I mean? Like some people think, oh, it's Tony Blair or something, or they, they maybe Saddam is the Antichrist or something. They just throw these ideas out there. No, they fully believed the papacy is the man of sin. Yes. And I remember studying this, and I was just, I was really overwhelmed by it when I first came across it, because there, there are just a lot of very powerful arguments that are made. And then you begin studying the details of the papacy, and it, it just becomes very, uh, I think, very, very convicting. And to the point where they believe, the Reformers believe, that those who cannot see that the Pope is the very Antichrist, the man of sin, that there's a terrible blindness upon them, they said. So tell the listening audience, Chris, about the soon-to-be-released Bridge to Babylon and really what you're covering specifically in this documentary. And again, I mean, I think sequentially people really have to get your work to kind of look at the sort of history of how this all ties in together to come to one conclusion, really, doesn't it? Well, yeah, there's, there's so many things going on, and there's a number of different ways that you can understand it. For, for me, I've just been on my own journey of discovering, you know, and, and you'll see that if you watch my films one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, uh, that there's a, a journey of understanding that goes on. But where Bridge to Babylon is concerned, you asked me about Bridge, Bridge to Babylon is part three in our History of the Bible series. We did A Lamp in the Dark, then we did Tears Among the Wheat, and now part three, Bridge, really is following the history of the Bible into the 20th century, and confronting overall, what we're confronting is the issue of higher criticism, which is the philosophy that's taken hold in a lot of Bible colleges, seminaries, etc., that undermines faith in the Bible as the Word of God, and uh, basically makes all of the arguments continually casting doubt on various passages of the Scripture, and leads people to the conclusion that, well, the Bible's not really the Word of God. It's a book that has some strong suggestions in it, and uh, parts of it are true, but we can't really know for sure. It puts a, a perpetual question mark on the Scripture, so that you're never really sure whether or not what you're reading is the Word of God. I believe it's the, uh, it's the modern manifestation of the serpent's uh, lie or deception in the garden, where he says, Yea, hath God said. And he's continually questioning whether or not, or, or causes to question whether or not what you're reading in the Holy Scripture is the Word of God. So that's what we confront in terms of how this came about. How did it begin really in the 19th century, we think, and then on into the 20th century. But then what this has done is because people have had a diminished confidence in the Bible as the Word of God, and as the inspired, inerrant Word of God, it has opened the door for people who profess Christianity to embrace this ecumenical movement, to embrace the idea that, well, maybe there are many paths to God. Maybe we shouldn't, you know, you can't really say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes unto the Father but by him, because maybe that's not true. That's what happens when they lose confidence that the Bible is the Word of God people then become more open to the idea that other paths of salvation could be true. So in a nutshell, that's what we confront. Now, of course, we believe, I believe, that the Bible is the inspired and errant Word of God. And so we, we make some, I hope, powerful arguments against 
the skeptics and against the rationalists and those uh, who have tried to undermine the foundation of the gospel. Well, and I guess in today's society, Chris, with all this eclectic mishmash of muddled mayhem, you've got so many weirdos that are out. I've actually heard a pastor recently say, you know, forget the stories. You know, they're just nice little references. There's no such Adam and Eve or just, you know, it's stunning how many actual pastors, so-called pastors. I mean, I personally believe that God's word is eternal, infallible, immutable, inerrant. I believe that. But I mean, there is pastors out there, so-called, that are telling their congregations, you know, these are allegory. It's just nice little references. You know, don't put any stock into it, though. And it's like, that is so stunning. But let me ask you this question. I mean, you're so astute. You're such an acclaimed filmmaker. What was your pivotal, quintessential wow moment? Really a moment of powerful, profound insight. Well, I'll tell you, I would, I, would, I would relate it to a salvation issue because it was when I got saved, when I became a born-again believer, that would be the beginning of my whole journey where all of this kind of research is concerned. But I would say on this issue, it would be, you know, for years I was raised Catholic, and I really had, before I got saved, I, I would say I had kind of what today I would define as kind of a New Age view of things. I, I was open to things that, well, maybe... Maybe there are many paths to God, and, and why, why couldn't there be, and this kind of thing. Because I was just a confused guy. Right. And I remembered for years hearing people say in documentaries or in the news or wherever that, well, you know, Jesus never really said that he was the Christ. He never claimed to be the Messiah. That was something his followers said about him. And I remembered hearing that for years. And then when I was living in New York, and I was beginning a a journey of Bible study because I'd been brought to a very low point in my life and I was seeking God and I was searching the scripture. And I remember reading in Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62, where it says, again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Mm. That was probably one of, the, one of the most powerful moments for me in my walk of faith, because I realized a number of things. One, uh, Jesus did openly claim that he was the Christ, the Messiah. There's no question about that. And there's a number of other places in the scripture as well where he does. But this for me was really a turning point in my understanding, because I realized there are people out there who are lying to us, yes. people out there who are deceiving us, and they're giving out all kinds of misinformation. And how is it that you've got something that's so plain right there in the Word of God? It's very straightforward, and yet people are misrepresenting it in the world that we live in. And so that, for me, was a very important turning point that ultimately brought me to salvation and then all the work that I've been doing from then to now. Well, and you have been a busy guy doing a lot of work. I really want to recommend that people get this work because, again, you've just put such time and effort into it. Now, give out your website for the listeners and how they can not only check out your handiwork, but order some of these incredible documentaries, Chris. Well, we have two websites. We have adullamfilms.com. That's A-D-U. L-L-A-M, Adullam Films, and the name Adullam, for those who may not know, comes from 1 Samuel chapter 22, 
the cave Adullam, which is where David fled when he was being persecuted by uh, King Saul, and there the outcasts of Israel gather around him, and they go out and they make war against the enemies of Israel. For us, that's a powerful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and fighting the good fight of faith uh, through the work that we do in film and video. But that's one website, adullamfilms.com. Then we have our radio site, which is noiseofthunderradio.com, noiseofthunderradio.com, and that's where I have a podcast and I do several shows a week, and we have uh, shows that are there in the archive that people can download and listen to, where we talk about basically history, the Bible, and current events. So those are our websites, and you can actually order our films on both of them. If you go to adullamfilms.com, people can actually watch previews uh, the trailers and previews of the films there, and we have a lot more information about the documentaries. Well, thank you for that, Chris. And again, I really want to thank you, not just for your work, but for your time in putting together, you know, connecting the dots on this, because again, you just lay this out so astutely. And I, I really want to thank you also for your time in coming on the program today. Hopefully we can have you come back soon. Well, I hope so too, Sheila. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Chris. God bless. All right. God bless you too. Have a good one. Folks, that was Chris Pinto. His information is linked there today on the May 25th bio at weekendvigilante.com. Do check out his websites. Again, they're linked there on today's bio. I really appreciate the work that these guys have done with Adullam Films is just a litany of information really connecting all the dots. And it really ties the history into where we're at today. Dark Clouds Over Elberton, the true story of the Georgia Guidestones. Those big granite stones are the Ten Commandments calling for a reduction of the world population to a mere 500 million Good old depopulation. Many have wondered, is the monument designed to inspire wisdom or to launch a global genocide? And that documentary provides powerful, groundbreaking information. So that film really is a must-see for those who wish to learn more about the globalist use of environmentalism, population control. It's a big piece of, of course, Green Gospel, my book, couldn't be more timely because I'll tell you what, this green theology, it's woven into every fabric of our daily life here. So it's all very important work indeed. Thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast today. We'll see you tomorrow.